This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, February 20th. And now, please rise for the singing of our Welcome to episode 83 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Peter's twin brother, Paul Elliott. And this is uh, this is our baseball podcast. Paul and I reside in Champaign, Illinois, home of Lovey Smith, uh, who uh, is famous now. <laughs> Chance the Rapper gives him a shout out. Uh, Paul, what, what did you make of that? Uh, it's cool. I would have... Beforehand, I would have guessed that he would have spelled champagne wrong, because most people do that, the mm-hmm. G-N-E, so I was impressed that he, he spelled it right. Do you think he's ever been to Champagne? Uh, Has he performed here? Well, his, tw- his tweet didn't indicate that he had been to Champagne. No, I'm just asking. Oh, he's probably been here. Uh, do you think Lovey actually listens to Chance? I bet he's heard a couple songs. Because he definitely didn't send that tweet. <laughs> I bet he's heard a couple songs. I think he listens to them, and I think he really enjoys them. And I think it might have been his idea. Uh, I do not think he sent that tweet, though. Hmm. Chance is pretty amazing. I'm not a hip-hop guy, obviously, but uh, his rise in just the popularity, like you don't hear anyone say anything bad about him. Yeah, I wonder uh, if a Foot in the Box would have tweeted that same image, what he would have <laughs> responded with. Probably nothing. Okay, well, uh, from one hip-hop legend to another, our Nelly update. A couple things uh, on the Nelly front. He is coming to Peoria, Illinois in just a few months, Paul. Civic Center? Uh, No, I think it's some casino. Riverfront Casino? Hmm. $25 uh, on May 20th. Uh, So not not all that expensive. Just him? Has he got anyone else? Uh, That show, he's the headliner. There are some other uh, concerts that they uh, announced with his for the summer. Um, kind of in the same genre as Nelly. Like famous, but uh, not making great music right now. Hmm. Uh, so that is happening in May. Um, will you consider going to that concert? No. <laughs> no. All right. Number two, um, the magicipod.com. Uh, Paul, did you try this out yet? Uh, I saved your tweet, but I haven't checked it out. All right, so... What, uh, what is it? Yep, uh, magicipod.com. A pre- now a presenting sponsor of <laughs> A Foot in the Box. Sure. They don't have any ads on their uh, their webpage. Um, they just ask for a donation to uh, ALCU, ACLU, hmm. the one that's fighting against Trump. The C- Civil Liberties Union? Yeah, ACLU. All right, so uh, you go there, magicipod.com, and then you can drag a hip-hop song from the left and drag it over, I don't know what the genre, like alternative, yellow card sort of music from on the right. So the reason why I'm mentioning it here is that Country Grammar by Nelly is on the left. Um, And so, Paul, I'm going to play a clip now, but you have your choice. So when you drag Country Grammar from the left side of the screen 
to the right side, uh, you have your choice of a few different artists. All right, so your choices. Country Grammar, would you like it paired with Ocean Avenue, I Write Sins uh, Panic at the, by Panic at the Disco, uh, Sugar We're Going On Swingin' by Fall Out Boy, or Complicated by Avril Lavigne? Uh, yellow card for sure. like it uh, yeah you had a favorite right yes uh, my favorite in the club by 50 cent with a thousand miles by vanessa carlton go go shorty it's your birthday we're gonna party like it's your birthday we're gonna sip a party like it's your birthday and you know we don't give up because that's your birthday you can find me in the club bottle full of booze right? yeah, that's what pretty you good. need if you need to fill the bar yeah, there's I'm one more Coming live from the VIP, heard the nightlife, lost life without me. Both the feds and the state want to see by me. The whole city got pissed, heard he got three. That other rapper got to hear me shout it. He got three. All right, uh, so that was your Nelly, uh, Nelly updates. And what was what was that website again for the folks? TheMagicIpod.com. So, uh, yeah, check that out. We'll link to it in our podcast episode page at afootinthebox.com. Uh, let's move on to baseball, uh, Paul. The spring training is uh, uh, started. Yeah, it's here. It's here. It's now. Um, did the White Sox report on Valentine's Day, or was it the day after? They reported uh, Wednesday. Day after. Mm-hmm. What did you, you and Kate do for Valentine's Day? Uh, we hosted our Bible study. Very romantic. Yeah, we shared the love with. Will you celebrate some other time? Uh, we exchanged Valentine's, but no. Valentine's has never been that big of a deal. So uh, I've got a few different things happening around baseball. A pretty eventful week. First one I wanted to discuss was Alex Reyes. Yeah. Pitcher for the Cardinals. Um, needs Tommy John surgery. He was the number one prospect in baseball according to Baseball Prospectus. Well, not only that. So he felt the twinge Friday. He's named the number one prospect Monday, and then Tuesday is when he finds hmm. out he needs Tommy John. So like just that roller coaster of, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, I don't know if being named the number one prospect by baseball <laughs> perspective is a big deal to him, but yeah, uh, yeah. So he felt discomfort um, last week while he, and he was preparing for the World Baseball Classic, which is not good for the World Baseball Classic. No, uh, I'd be surprised if that lasts much past this this current run. Um, just with injuries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he needs Tommy John surgery. Uh, he was going to play for the uh, Dominican Republic in the World Baseball Classic. Uh, last year, uh, if you don't know, Reyes um, made his Major League debut at just 21 years old. He had 52 strikeouts and 46 innings with a 1.57 ERA. Uh, also had 93 strikeouts in 65 innings at AAA. I mean, he was he was their go-to pitcher late in the year. He had a start the last weekend of the season at San Francisco. That was, I think, seven innings, zero runs when they were playing to get in the playoffs. So, like, he was their ace. Yeah, he was slotted to be their uh, their number five starter, which is strange in theory. But you know, he had upside to be 
probably number two behind Martinez. Uh, replacements for the Cardinals, uh, Luke Weaver, who came up last year, high draft pick, Michael Waka, and Trevor Rosenthal. So they do have depth. but It's like a weird depth. Like got household names, but like household names that are kind of sketchy, you know? Yeah, Waka and, and Rosenthal are really interesting. Uh, Rosenthal, of course, was a dominant closer, you know, as of 2015. Mm-hmm. And really struggled last year. They're going to try to give him a... Shout out the rotation, and then Waka was a really good starter. Uh, probably needs to go to the bullpen, but his mechanics are uh, uh, lead to injuries, it seems like. So I don't think uh, he'll be able to sustain that, especially starting. Yeah, I mean, Waka is still definitely better than most of the fifth starters. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just um, they're in an interesting situation. Then even moving forward, it kind of puts them in a bind. Like this year kind of would have been building up to him taking the reins in 18 and 19 as like the ace probably. Now like 18 will kind of be... Oh, with Martinez. Yeah, but uh, kind of taking um, Wainwright's role, I feel mm-hmm. like. And now 18 will kind of be that that year where he's bridging the gap, like maybe throwing 150 innings versus 200 or 210. Mm-hmm. I looked at a list of Tommy John surgeries, uh, and it had been a while since we had a, a real prominent one like this. Spring training 2015, uh, Zach Wheeler and Hugh Darvish both needed Tommy John surgery. And then uh, Jose Fernandez in 2014, uh, early on in the season. Uh, you mean, so what, you mean like this early? Uh, no, I mean just at all. Prominent, so, prominent starting pitchers. So Harvey's wasn't a Tommy John? No, that was a weird like shoulder rib thing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's certainly been other arm injuries, but... Tommy John surgery wise, there's a great Google doc. I don't know who maintains it, but it has a list of all hmm. the surgeries. All right, uh, moving on uh, to something just as catastrophic: uh, the second base extra innings rule. Uh, well, before we go there, I've got some other injury that's probably worth. Well, yeah, I have that on my list too. But all right, we'll wait. Yeah, I guess I could use that segue. Um, but the second base rule and extra innings, uh, it was. Um, I guess it's not just floated out. It's a thing that's actually going to happen in low minor leagues this Mm -hmm. year in the World Baseball Classic. Uh, Starting the 10th inning, just a a runner automatically put a second base to start the inning. Uh, Joe Torre uh, made it a news story this week. He was quoted as saying, "Uh, it's not fun to watch when you go through your whole pitching staff and wind up bringing a utility infielder into pitch. As much as much as it's nice to talk about being at an 18 inning uh, game, it takes time. It's baseball. I'm just trying to get back to that, where this is the game that people come to watch. It doesn't mean you're going to score. You're just trying to play baseball. Uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it was ridiculous. Um, however, I do kind of uh, sympathize a little bit with Tori and with Manfred because I felt like. I feel like so many people just jump on anything that like smells a little bit like a change. Well, this is ludicrous. It's ludicrous, but like pitch clock was floated out, people didn't freak out. I know, but like in the '60s, they what they lowered the mound by, uh, I don't know, like a foot or something, and not not now that's our mound. And but if you were to th- pitch that today, like oh let's mm. let's mess with the mound. I I just feel like I disagree. The the change is wrong, but I the the conversation was a little too harsh. I think this rule would dramatically change baseball as it's played. 
you can't just do that. I mean, I get in like lower levels, like little league or when you're playing without lights, sure. But I mean, no, no, I, yeah, I dis, I'm in, in, in this idea, like who doesn't enjoy an extra inning game? I don't agree with the rule. I'm saying the tenor of the conversation was a bit surprising to me. I guess, um, I would sympathize more with your reasoning if it was an actual concern, you know, like if this wasn't an effort to, uh, speed up the pace of play, you know, even though it's controversial, we're we're tackling what the root cause. But I feel like this, hmm. no one doesn't enjoy an extra inning game. Like everyone enjoys when a utility infielder has to come in and pitch. I went uh, in 2015. I went to the Cubs Pirates 12 inning game, lasted over five hours, and I brought um, Ben, my friend from Australia. He was actually on the podcast mm-hmm. first few episodes. Uh, it was his first baseball game. And uh, he loved it, mm-hmm. and it lasted. I mean, it lasted way like almost double what a, a normal game lasted. Right. But it was great. Yeah, yeah. I I agree with you. The environment is maybe a little unfair there. You're Why? talking about a packed Wrigley when like well, both... it, was, it wasn't packed by the end. No. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. I think the like the 13 or 14 inning games when there's like 100 fans left in the stands. Those are the best. Uh, well, yeah, we're diehard baseball fans, but uh, it's kind of a black eye, I feel like. I mean, at, at most, the White Sox played, what, 15 extra inning yeah, games last year? I haven't looked back at the data, but... It's just not a real concern. There's so many other things that we should be spending our time trying to tweak. My theory is that Manfred and his uh, his crew uh, in the MLB office throw out these extreme proposals... Uh, to get things like a pitch clock to sound less extreme. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a political thing where, oh yeah, we're going to change the game this drastically and everyone freaks out. And then now a pitch clock, you know, seems like a much more manageable thing. It is interesting. I mean, I don't, do you think Joe Torre would get behind that? It seems like he would have a little more like agency oh, well, over I don't, his decisions. I don't think this is actual, like, you think Joe Torre doesn't like extra inning games? I don't know. He doesn't seem like the type of guy that would just be Manfred's mouthpiece. Uh, he was in New York for a while. I think he uh, he's not so innocent, <laughs> to use Donald's line. Okay, we have other things to talk about. Uh, just uh, to clarify for the record, Paul in favor of <laughs> second base extra inning rule, Peter not in favor. All right, so your, your injury update, Paul, would you like to explain what happened? So a uh, Royals relief pitcher... Uh, let me get his name here. Uh, Brian Flynn. Broke... Son of Michael Flynn. <laughs> Fake news. Uh, he broke a rib and three vertebrae uh, shortly before spring training started. He pitched in the big leagues for the Royals last year. It was actually pretty good. I didn't, I'd never heard of him, but his numbers were decent. Um, and he was supposed to be a kind of a key cog in their revamp bullpen this year. Anyways, he fell through the roof of a barn at his home in Oklahoma. And he's out for a couple months. But it got me researching and thinking the weirdest slash favorite baseball injury of all time. I had the thought to do this, but then I realized it would take too much time. So I'm glad that you did it. Um, So before I read off the list, I've got five here. Do you have a favorite that comes to mind? Jeff Kent did something with a knife, right? That didn't make the list. Okay. Um, Jeremy Affelt did something with a, okay. a I know Kent or it was Kent's motorcycle maybe. Uh Sammy Sosa sneezed. Yes, that did make the list. Hurt his back. Two thousand four back spasms. I guess it wasn't baseball. Didn't Carlos Boozer 
Or someone had an injury where they said that they uh, tripped over like a gym bag when really it was like something else. That, uh, that does sound familiar. Yeah. Uh, here are a few. The most recent one involves a drone. Can you guess the player? Oh, Trevor Bauer. Yes. Yep. Trevor Bauer. Uh, you have Joel Zumaya, a relief pitcher for the Tigers, who uh, hurt his wrist playing Guitar Hero. Um, what was that, like 2000? 2006, I think. Have you ever heard of uh, the Marty Cordova one? I don't think so. He fell asleep in a tanning bed <laughs> and burnt his face so bad that um, the doctors advised that he not play to avoid direct sunlight. <laughs> thought that was pretty good. That was early 2000s as well. Isn't He's, that on uh, the tanning bed place? A little bit, yeah. Maybe he had one in his house or something. Uh, and then the last one, this is one you mentioned, but there's another Cubs one, Zambrano, Carlos Zambrano. Had elbow discomfort. Do you remember why? Uh, was it like emailing his his mm-hmm. uh, brother? Allegedly, would spend four hours a day emailing his brother and developed carpal tunnel like symptoms. <laughs> um, but if we were missing one, let us know. I think I think there are several more out there. But baseball does seem to attract a weird amount of injuries. Yep. Uh, just a couple more things for me. Brandon Phillips got traded to the Braves. He finally relented on his no trade clause. Uh, initially I thought, you know, like, what are the Braves doing? Uh, they're supposed to be rebuilding, but they're getting all these really old players, Ari Dickey, Bartolo Colon, Brandon Phillips. They signed Nick Marcakis a couple years ago. But then I read that the Braves are only paying $1 million out of uh, $14 million on Phillips' contract this year. Uh, they gave up two not-even-prospects, two just kind of depth minor league players, and are taking a chance on this guy who they could flip – during the season, I don't know mm-hmm. if Phillips would be open to that. Uh, so I think it makes a little more sense. What were your thoughts on the deal? There's also a sense where they want to be decent in their first year in their new stadium, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I Phillips is way past his prime. I think he'll probably be a rep- replacement level second baseman. Um, so. what, do you, what do you think his career war is right now? Uh, man, that's a good question. I'll say 30. That's exactly right. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. On the dot. Well done. Well done. Uh, your buddy Grant McCauley, podcast guest who uh, Paul famously butchered the name of. <laughs> never, his, ma- never made the air. In his opening line. He tweeted out uh, this little fact. In 2002, the Expos traded Brandon Phillips for Bartolo Colon, who wow. was 29 years old at the time. Now they are teammates on the Braves. Oh, wow. That's pretty great. Last thing for me, the uh, the Tigers owner, Mike Illich, died. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, I feel like, pretty well known because he really wanted a World Series to happen before he died. Yes. This is actually my out of the box. Okay. So I, w- I won't touch on it too much. But um, yeah, he, uh, he was the owner of Little Caesars Pizza right. and had been the owner for a long time and pretty beloved. Um, I don't know, in, the, in your out-of-the-box, were you going to talk about the Marlins sale as well? Uh, no. Yeah, the Marlins um, made news this past week. Uh, Jeff Loria, who's their awful uh, GM now, or owner now, uh, reportedly was going to sell the team for between $1.3 and $1.6 billion to the Kushner family, who, of course, is famous because Jared Kushner is uh, some sort of aide to President Trump married to his daughter. Um, so his brothers and his father were going to kind of be involved with buying the Marlins. 
But that is all on hold. Uh, the Kushner family pulled back after it was reported that Loria would become the ambassador to France. Uh, Can't make this stuff up. Yeah, so they, for some reason, I guess the Kushner family didn't want to be involved with pushing Loria to France. So uh, it's kind of on hold right now. Yeah, and I have a, a, a video clip from uh, Dan Lebetard here talking about Loria uh, that we can play going into uh, Out of the Box. He ain't worse than Donald Sterling. Publicly. But he's bad. He's as bad as ownership gets. Jeffrey Loria, the owner of the Marlins. Like, that guy cannot, if I could chase him out of town with a pitchfork, I would. He paid $158 million for that team, man. $158 million and then, you know, he gets $1.6 billion for them, which is fun. I mean, enjoy I rarely, it, man. I rarely see you have the inability to, like, find some way to be kind to people, and there is nothing, like, there's no sympathy or empathy or any compassion for Jeffrey Loria in your green soul. Can't find it. Have looked for it, have tried uh, cannot find it. Lousy for the city of Miami. Lousy for the people that he works over. Lousy uh, at playing at, at paying players and selecting players. I I don't find anything redeeming. Uh, it would be Damn a really it. happy day in the history of South Florida if if that guy fled the premises and never returned here. All right. Before we begin out of the box, we should give a preview for the rest of the podcast. We've got two guests coming on. First one is our brother Kevin from Chicago. He's going to play a uh, a game with us, uh, baseball prospectus annual game that we stole from Effectively Wild. And then after Kevin, we have an interview with Michael Coffin, who is the radio broadcaster for the Astros AA affiliate, the Corpus Christi Hooks. So just excited. Um, he's kind of got a cool story, and I uh, saw a lot of the. Um, Astros players that are in the bigs now uh, saw them come up through the minors, and uh, with Pakota having them, you know, as the best team in the American League, thought it would be a good time to kind of get uh, some some info on the Astros. So Michael Coffin it comes on after Kevin, uh, but before that we have out of the box and then our new segment, uh, which we will introduce when that time comes. Uh, but first, out of the box, what do you got, Paul? Uh, so we want to talk about Mike Illich, as you mentioned in the intro. Um, he passed away uh, last Friday. He's the former owner of the Tigers and the Red Wings. Also the founder of Little Caesars, the pizza chain. And um, I had kind of always viewed him as kind of a, a nice George Steinbrenner and that like he would pay these crazy contracts, you know, give $30 million annual deals to Cabrera and Verlander. But I didn't know that he was... Um, he was actually a really good guy or a decent guy, and he did some really good things off the field. And the specific article I want to talk about was from CNN. came out after he passed away, but the title is Little Caesars Founder Quietly Paid Rosa Parks Rent for Years. Yeah, so the the moral of the story is, as the, uh, the headline says, that Illich paid Rosa Parks rent for over a decade um, later in her life. I guess maybe to um, draw out the story a little bit more. So after the Montgomery bus boycotts in the 50s, Rosa Parks moved to Detroit and did a lot of great things there. Uh, in her 80s, in the early 90s, she was her house was uh, burglarized and she was assaulted. 
And after that, uh, she moved to a kind of a nicer apartment and that incident got written about in the paper and Illich saw it. And he kind of behind the scenes quietly offered to pay her rent indefinitely. And um, he did so for the next 11 years until she passed away in 2005. So yeah, it's just a, it's a really neat story of someone with a lot of money doing something positive and not necessarily doing it for the notoriety. Even though this had been written about before, Illich had never really like gone on record talking about it, kind of refused interviews. This wasn't meant as a publicity stunt. It was just kind of out of the goodness of his heart. I guess uh, rest in peace and um, props to um, to him for making a difference. Yeah, I thought it was funny. I was reading his Wikipedia today. He actually bought the team from the owner of Domino's Pizza. Hmm. So from one pizza owner to another. Uh, he actually played uh, in the minors for the Tigers as well. Mm-hmm. I read that. After, uh, after was it Vietnam? Must have been. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, out of the box for me, I want to talk about Noah Syndergaard. A couple of different articles. One is John Harper with the uh, New York Daily News, and then the other is James Wagner with the New York Times. So Syndergaard had the fastest average fastball among starters in baseball last year at 98 miles per hour. That's two miles per hour faster than the next person, the next uh, qualified starter. Uh, and he's 6'6", 240, or that's what he was last year. 218 strikeouts and 183 innings, just a dominant season for him. Uh, was top 10 in, in uh, the National League Cy Young. Kind of a breakout year for him, and he's only 24. Uh, heading into this year, though, he's made a lot of headlines this uh, this week at spring training because he added uh, 17 pounds of muscle, and so he is now up near 260 pounds, and he's 6'7 now. So just a huge person. I mean, that's like LeBron size. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Syndergaard said he, he got... Uh, so big because of his his um, off season workout, he was down in Texas and uh, he said he every day he ate a specific meal at a Dallas restaurant and uh, the meal contained sweet potato hash, avocado, eggs, bacon, and buffalo and venison sausage. So just a ton of protein in uh, in that meal. Um, so I thought it was interesting. A lot of people are speculating that it's you know too much weight. Syndergaard wants to throw faster. That was kind of the intent behind all this. And throwing 98 on average already, do you need to throw any faster? Is kind mm-hmm. of the, what people talk about. And the Mets have a ton of injuries. So David Wright has neck issues. Lucas Duda has back issues. Neil Walker also has back stuff. Travis Darneau, their catcher, is just uh, targeting 100 games this year. That's what his goal is. And then their pitching staff is full of injury risks. Zach Wheeler, Stephen Matz, Matt Harvey, Jacob deGrom all missed time last year. Syndergaard's never had an arm issues? I don't believe so. No, yeah. So he's just 24, uh, bright future, but definitely something you want to monitor is how the added weight. You know, 20 pounds is a pretty big deal to be adding, and so we'll see how that impacts both his velocity, which we can check really easily now with advanced stuff, and uh, to see if that impacts his arm at all. It kind of reminds me of, I'm not saying he used steroids, but remember some of those stories from like late 90s where yeah. guys would come into camp like having added 20 pounds of muscle. and like I think uh, Pudge Rodriguez is one of them. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's funny. Um, but I feel like most most of, the, most of the time it was people saying like, oh, I just lifted weights. But Syndergaard is saying I ate 
a lot of protein, <laughs> including this ridiculous meal from this restaurant every day. Hmm. We have some listeners in the Dallas area. What was the name of the restaurant? Uh, they don't give the restaurant. It's called the Bowl of Doom. Hmm. So you could probably Google that and find out which, which restaurant. If you've had the Bowl of Doom, let us know. All right. Well, that's out of the box. You can find those articles on the episode page at afootinthebox.com. Next up is our new segment. All right, so our new segment that we're debuting on episode 83 is called Deep Dive, and uh, it's essentially a replacement for uh, what we used to do with baseball profiles. Uh, we're going to take a look at one specific player, one specific thing in baseball history, and uh, one event, something like that, and, and just talk about it for five to ten minutes, kind of get a history of it, what stands out as being interesting, those sorts of things. So deep dive uh, in this first segment, we are going to look at Bo Jackson. So here is uh, the first installment of Deep Dive. The song you are listening to is Scenario by the band A Tribe Called Quest. came out in the early 90s. And this week on Deep Dive, we're going to talk about Bo Jackson. Uh, so Bo Jackson was born in 1962. It makes him 54 years old today. He was one of 10 uh, children in a family that lived in Alabama, played high school uh, baseball, football, and track. His senior year of high school, he hit 20 home runs in 25 games, just an absurd rate, and he uh, that led to him getting selected in the second round of the 1982 MLB draft by the Yankees. But uh, he decided to play at Auburn at st- instead. Uh, he played baseball and football at Auburn. Uh, and he had a, a super good college career. So as a college football player, he had, for his career, 4,303 yards, uh, 6.6 yards per carry, and he was the 1985 Heisman. Barely beat out Iowa quarterback Chuck Long, who is now an uh, analyst on the Big Ten Network. Pretty terrible analyst. He's not He's not one of their headliners. Uh, and then for uh, Auburn's baseball team, had a slash line of 338, 466, and 729. Mm. Uh, just an insane slash line. And then uh, that led to uh, him getting drafted in uh, the NFL and MLB. Yeah, and I think that's actually one of the more interesting things about him. He went from being the number one overall pick in 1986 by the Bucks to uh, the next year being drafted in the seventh round. So kind of from best to worst or highest to lowest and the reason for that was uh, uh, because of an issue that Jackson had with the Bucks. he accused the Bucks of kind of deceiving him uh, knowingly deceiving him uh, to break an NCAA violation he, he still to this day thinks that the Bucks are trying to get him to choose one sport and so they invited him to come to kind of tour their facilities before the draft Jackson asked them if they had gotten approved by the NCAA they said yes turns out they hadn't um, and he was ruled ineligible um, mm-hmm. for baseball his senior season. So even though he was drafted number one, he refused to sign with the Bucks, 
and um, ended up being drafted in the fourth round um, by the Royals to play baseball. And then the next season, there was question about whether he was even going to play football. That's why he dropped to the seventh round. Um, but the Raiders took a flyer on him, and um, he proved to be one of the best running backs in the league. Yeah, I think it's odd uh, that no one took a chance before the fourth round in baseball or the seventh round in the NFL draft. I mean, with yeah. you would know that he's you know he wants to play each sport. Like mm-hmm. for the the Royals, you know, in the fourth round, you would think some other team before that would would think, oh, he's he's not happy with the Bucks. We should take a chance on him in the third or the second round or the late first round. Right. And then in the football draft, you would know, man, he, he's great at football. You know, even if we take him in the fifth or sixth round and he doesn't play like big deal, um, right. we took a, uh, maybe a 20% chance that the best running back in football would come to us. Yeah. Maybe this is arrogant of me to say, but I almost think that kind of the information age that we live in now would have prevented that. Like, I, I just think so many people, reporters would have been talking to him that I don't think there's any way his intentions wouldn't have been made clear. He was drafted in the 1986 MLB draft by the Royals. That happened in June. He only played in the minors a couple months before uh, making his debut with the Royals in September of 1986. And he was a a pretty good baseball player. Um, Not uh, phenomenal, but who knows what would happen if he didn't get hurt. The 1989 All-Star game, uh, he made a great catch to end the top of the first and then hit a 448-foot homer to lead off the bottom. That was kind of his big his big moment. And uh, overall, 1989 was, was his best year as an athlete. Uh, in football, he played 11 games with the Raiders, um, 950 year, uh, rushing yards. And then for baseball, uh, 32 home runs, 105 RBIs, and 26 steals. And that season, he was an all-star in both leagues, and that was... Uh, the first time anyone has ever done that. Mm-hmm. Um, not even just, you know, uh, football and baseball, but um, any professional athlete to be an all-star in two sports in the same season. Yeah, pretty big deal. Uh, career on base percentage of 309. So, again, uh, good but not great. Um, definitely you know him because of the highlight reel stuff. But, again, he was hurt by the, the injury, um, which mm-hmm. I think you're going to talk about, Paul. Yeah, so in um, in 1991, and actually in a playoff game against the Cincinnati Bengals, um, in the, what looked to be a somewhat routine tackle from behind, uh, Jackson uh, hurt his hip, and that would be the last football game he ever played. He would make a uh, a comeback and play for the White Sox in 1993 and 1994. But um, but yeah, that game playoff game against the Bengals was the last football game he ever played. Yep, and there's a great 30 for 30 about Bo Jackson that talks about the injury. Uh, I think Bono's is the the name of it, but yeah, his hip came out of the socket, and uh, yeah, you can read a lot of stuff online about why that hurt his hip so much. He had to get an artificial hip eventually, and he just wasn't the same athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but he did come back and was decent at baseball again. Obviously, Bo Jackson was a great athlete, um, but a lot of why people know him is for stuff you know off the field or off the, the diamond. Uh, the Bono's uh, Nike ad campaign was in 1989, 1990. It was an ad campaign that really promoted the um, the CrossFit shoe by Nike. And Bo Jackson would be, you know do all these various sports with the same shoe. And then uh, Tech Mobile, which is a, a, a video game. 
uh, came out in 1989. Bo Jackson famously is just unstoppable in that game. So both those things are kind of um, cultural icons now. Mm-hmm. And you hit on this earlier, but uh, one of the reasons that he had such a kind of a bright star for a couple of years was that he just played extraordinarily in big moments. So you mentioned uh, the 1989 All-Star game where he made an amazing catch and hit a 450-foot homer in the first inning. There's also the the famous Brian Bosworth game against the um, Seahawks. Monday night game, Bosworth comes out earlier that weekend and says, you know, I'm going to shut him down. And he, mm-hmm. you know, trucks him at the goal line and has two touchdowns and, you know, I think 250 yards breaks the Raiders rushing record. So uh, those kind of big moments catapulted him, I think, to a, a certain level of stardom that um, maybe was beyond a little bit of his actual performance yep so for his career in baseball eight years in the in the bigs 141 home runs and uh like paul said his his best war season was 3.5 his total earnings in baseball were six million seven hundred forty three thousand dollars he lives in burridge illinois today and uh, recently actually said uh in an interview with the usa today that if he could go back he would just play baseball because of the CTE concerns with football. Mm-hmm. He said he would uh, never let his kids play football. All right, so to close uh, this first installment of Deep Dive, we have three audio clips for you. First one is a promo for Bo Jackson being on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Then an interview he did with David Letterman after his injury. And then lastly, a clip of Vin Scully and uh, Ronald Reagan at the 1989 All-Star Game calling his long uh, home run in the bottom of the first. Yo, what's up? Monday night. Don't miss it. It's a special one-hour Fresh Prince of Bel-Air starring Quincy Jones, Kadeem Hardison, Malcolm Jamal Warner, Tyler Collins, Heavy D, Alvy Shore, and my main man, Bo Jackson. Yo, man, what's up with that? Why you say my name last? Monday night, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air starring Bo Jackson, Bo Jackson, Bo Jackson, and Bo Jackson. Monday. Uh, upon returning to baseball after missing the entire 1992 season due to hip replacement surgery, this is an amazing story. Our next guest then homered during his very first at-bat there at Comiskey Park in Chicago and helped lead the Chicago White Sox to the American League West title. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a true hero, is Bo Jackson. Bo! I don't want to embarrass you, but I've admired your career and especially the second part of your career with this uh, injury and the the, uh, surgery and the comeback. And you're truly a ball player because when you came across there and I said hello to you and shook your hand, you patted me on the butt. I appreciate that. (laughs) Thank you very much. Um... (laughs) You did, didn't you? Make me feel like an (laughs) all-star. That's what we athletes do. <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, I don't even know where to begin. First of all, congratulations. You must be thrilled that you've come through this situation. You must feel pretty good now. Actually, I feel great. Yeah. Uh, I don't consider myself... I, I uh, consider this year the, the best fun I've had doing yeah. my job in all of my professional... And every aspect of it turned out nicely, although the, uh, the Sox didn't get into the series, they didn't win the pennant, but they came very close, so that must have been gratifying. Yes, it was. We knocked on some uh, doors to let the people know that we are there and we will be back next year. All right. For sure. Good for you. Do you, uh, do you miss football at all? No. 
no, not really. And I can say that honestly because um, at the time that I got injured, my wife and I, we were contemplating about me retiring. I had one more season left with the Raiders, but with the kids and everything getting old enough to start school, it's just not healthy for them to be in school in the Midwest. You were busy year-round then, weren't you, yes. pretty much? Yeah. moving them back and forth. You wanted to country. spend more time with your family, obviously. Of course. How long did you play football? I played football for four years. Four years professionally, and... Thank you. Heisman Award winner, is that correct? Heisman Trophy yeah. winner in 1985. So you really have had uh, like two careers, two very, very successful, satisfying careers, huh? I have enjoyed my athletic career yeah. to the utmost. Tell, tell me things you can't do now with your, your hip. You, you have an artificial hip, don't you? Yes. Now, and what, what is that made of? Uh, if I told you that, I'd have to kill you, Dave. <laughs> yeah, you're going to tell me I'm going to go tell the Russians. Is that what you're... Well, in a sense, yes. <laughs> are, are you conscious of it all the time? I mean, it's not like other sports injuries. You have a major structural piece replaced in you. Yes, I do, and I never think about it. Is that right? I was in so much pain before I acquired this artificial hip toe. Yeah. Um, it's so wonderful to, to get rid of that pain that I had to get out of bed and to have to hold on to the furniture to get from my bed to the dresser, to the dresser, to yeah. the table, over to the bathroom. So all of that is behind you now? All of that is gone. Now, can you slide? If it's a close play at the plate, can you slide? Can you go in feet first? Actually, that was the main thing that my doctors were concerned about. They said, Bo, whatever you do, don't slide on your side that you got your artificial hip. Right. Because uh, that was the side that I, that I was used to sliding on. And we were playing the Pirates at their park, and uh, I was... I scored from third base, and it was a bam-bam play. Very close. And I slid into the catcher. Without thinking, probably, as an with, athlete. Yes, yeah. without thinking. And I slid on the side, and I got the artificial hip. And I was safe, and I got up, and I was going back to the dugout, and I was brushing my pants off, and I looked up in the stands, and people were like... <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, damn, I just slid on my hip. And it didn't no bother me. Yeah. No problem. My, uh, they had to give my surgeon, because he was in the stands, they had to give him CPR. <laughs> Jackson comes up. We talked about Ozzie Smith and you wearing a Cardinal uniform. And Jackson wears baseball and football, and you did football. Uh, yes, I played the Gipper, but I also played for real in a much earlier time. But uh, that bow down there, that's a pretty interesting hobby he has for his vacation. When baseball ends, he winds up uh, playing, uh, playing football. I, I just, I don't know if there's ever been anyone doing it. Hey. He's remarkable, and look at that one. Bo Jackson says hello. And Rick Russell is greeted on the first pitch to Bo Jackson. He almost hit it out of state. Now, you know, that's going to set it up pretty interesting for him to the end of this season when he goes back to the Los Angeles Raiders. Before we welcome uh, Kevin on to play our Pakoda game, briefly wanted to talk about um, the Pakoda projections that came out. And there's always a lot of um, kind of immediate reaction when Pakoda releases. Before we give our, uh, our hot takes on um, the projections, a little bit of history about Pakoda. 
Are you aware of its history, Paul? Uh, I'm looking right at you. <laughs> it was created in 2002 by Nate Silver, who worked for Baseball Prospectus at the time. And uh, yeah, it's named after Bill Pakoda, who was a replacement-level player with the uh, Royals. And uh, that's that's kind of the history. They've done it every year since. 2003 is the first year it came out in the uh, BP annual and it always makes a lot of people angry. One thing I like to do with these uh, projections, Paul, or ask both of us, if there are five teams that you would bet on as being either more or less wins than the Pakota projection, what would you, what five teams would you say? Um, the the first few that come to mind right off the bat, I think they're too high on the Mariners, so I would be confident in saying that the, the Mariners will have less than 87 wins, and I don't think they'll be a playoff team, okay. which is rare for you. Yes, um, I've been riding the Mariners for several years, and they've let me down. And I think they're too low on the Rangers. They have the Rangers at 84 wins when the Rangers were the best team in the American League last year. Uh, they did win a lot of close games, but I think they're better than an 84-win team. Uh, I think they're much too high on the Tampa Bay Rays. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was kind of one of the ones that I think a lot of people talked about. They have the Rays finishing second in the AL East. With only 84 wins, so not a great team. But um, I think the Rays will be either last or fourth place in the East. So those are three. Um, I guess moving over to the National League, I think the Nationals are going to win the East. So I would put them around 92-93. So Pagoda has them at 87. I'll go high. And then um, I do think the Cardinals are going to be better than a a 76-win team. So I'll go Cardinals is my fifth. What about you? Going Red Sox and Cubs, both more than what they have them. You have the Red Sox at 90 and the Cubs at 91. Take the over on both of them. Diamondbacks, they have winning 78 games. Definitely going to take the under on that. Uh, Taking the the Rays, less than 84 wins. And then the Twins, they have winning 80 games. Going to take less than 80. Yeah, they have the Twins finishing second in the Central. With them kind of projecting the Cubs lower than most people think, were you upset by that, or are you pretty okay with it? <laughs> no, I mean, no one should get upset by a projection. 91 wins is still a ton. Uh, they have, I think they have the Dodgers at 98 or 99. 99. So that is the surprising part of it. I don't think the Dodgers will be eight games better than the Cubs. Uh, I think they could have more wins, though. It's really the the pitching that's the what makes the Cubs a little tricky to, to predict. But uh, I do think their offense is great, and I think that's a pretty solid lock to be great. There's not guys you think will regress. Like a lot of their players should get better. They have Schwarber back for an entire season. Uh, Hayward should be a lot better. So I don't, yeah, I don't see how the Cubs win less than like 95 games. Hmm. Yeah, I have heard a lot of people say, you know, the Cubs were their pitching was historically great last year, and it will be very hard for them to repeat that this year. I can see that, but I, they bring back the same defenders, so that's part of what made him great was the great defense behind him. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that does it for our breakdown of Pakoda. You can uh, find the link to their standings, uh, the projected standings on our podcast episode page. All right, so we're going to talk to Kevin, and then after that we have an interview with AA Astros broadcaster Michael Coffin. All right, for our next segment on the podcast going to bring in our older brother, Kevin. Uh, Kevin, how is it going? 
going well. Thanks for having me, guys. Yes, it's our famous uh, annual baseball prospectus annual uh, guessing game. So famous that yes. that Kevin so, so Kevin famous. forgot about it. <laughs> so famous that I wasn't clear on the game. I had to ask for a clarification on what game it was. Yep, but uh, now he knows. And the, the game yep. um, for uh, for listeners out there that didn't listen last year, the baseball prospectus annual uh, has. Lots of good stuff, but uh, kind of the, one of the main things it's known for is a little uh, write-up for each player on each team. Mm-hmm. So it's just a very in-depth guide and uh, the little write-up. So, Peter, do you do you order the guide every year? Do you get that book? I do, yeah. Paul and I both have got it the last few years. Nice. How much does that run you? I've thought about getting it. Uh, it's actually $16 on Amazon right now, so you should oh, definitely get it. Oh, that's not bad at all. Yeah, that's a great deal. Yep, so uh, the game works. I give Paul and Kevin each a turn to guess player based on his write-up without giving that player's name, obviously, or the team in the write-up. Now, does Paul have his copy in front of him? Because if he does, that's a distinct disadvantage for me. I do not, but um, I should close my eyes when I go because I can see where Peter is in the book. Oh, so that would, that would not be, uh, fair. An advantage. I'll close my eyes. How about this? Um, you guys got a fax machine where you are? <laughs> to make it fair, maybe fax me a copy of the whole thing. Then we can get rolling. Yeah. Uh, so I'm pumped for this game, but before we do, I, I need your opinion on a couple of hot-button baseball topics, Kevin. Sure, sure. All right, so number one, uh, Noah Syndergaard uh, recently came to camp uh, after gaining 17 pounds of muscle, pushing mm-hmm. him over 250 pounds. Uh, and he said he did this primarily because of his diet in uh, in the off season. So mm-hmm. you just came off the whole thirty uh, a couple of days ago. So just wanted to get your uh, your reaction to Mr. Syndergaard. Yeah, well, I don't. Maybe he's trying to be like his buddy Bartolo. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm all about the healthy food thing. Not anymore though. That was a couple of days ago. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's crazy for those of you who have ever done whole thirty. You know what I'm talking about, but. Uh, cut out basically everything that tastes good and brings joy and uh, lost a ton of weight, but working hard to put it back on. So it had the opposite effect. Syndergaard gained 20 pounds and you lost. Well, yeah, clearly Syndergaard did not do what I did. <laughs> um, what, did what was that, your first meal after Whole30? You know, I actually spent a lot of time thinking about it. Um, the thing I was craving... For honestly, almost the entire 30 days was deep dish pizza. Mm-hmm. And I was certain that would be my first meal. But the closer we got to being done, I actually started thinking that that much like sauce and cheese and bread might kill me. Um, so I actually decided not to go with that. And so I went with Chipotle instead. Mm. I thought it would be a nice bridge, um, but we're going to get takeout uh, on Friday night. All right, so that was my first topic. Number two, mm-hmm. the Marlins have changed their facial hair policy. Uh, mm-hmm. Last year, they, they you know they no no facial hair at all. Uh, this year, Don yeah. Mattingly has changed that. Uh, you can have it as long as it's uh, trimmed and maintained properly. Uh, mm. as someone, so who determines what's proper or not? I feel like Mattingly has has the ultimate say, but I want I wanted to get your opinion because you are someone that's uh, been been both camps. You've 
clean cut and, mm-hmm. and just absolutely yeah. disheveled. So, uh, which yeah, lifestyle is like better? Really disheveled. Um, well, I don't know. It's kind of a spectrum there because when I'm totally, uh, clean cut, I look, I look just weird. I look like I'm 10, but I think you remember my grad school days when hair got a little long and the beard got kind of Jesus-like, um, and that didn't do me any favors either. So I think what I've got going right now works pretty well. A, a properly maintained beard and uh, nice short short hair. Although I think I'm starting to lose my hair, which is pretty disappointing. Not that your listeners care. But. Well, thanks for your input on, on both of those mm-hmm. topics. We can begin our game now. So uh, I'll start off, right. start off with Paul. Look at the first one, uh, Paul. Mm-hmm. I think do I he... get the steal if he doesn't get it? Exactly. Yep. Uh, and I think yep. last year Paul won in a very close competition. Didn't he win on a steal or something? If I remember right. No, he won on uh, our third cousin, Zach McAllister. Hmm. Uh, do we each right. get five guesses? Uh, yeah, there's ten total, so five each. Ten. All right, let's do this thing. All right, so Paul, your first one. This player doesn't throw quite as hard as he used to, but he's managed to mitigate the velocity migration with more movement and pinpoint precision. His cutter stays on plane longer and wanders farther than it used to, and batters had a devil of a time trying to barrel it in 2016. He controlled contact as well as any hurler in the game, generating an exit velocity lower than all but six other hurlers with 100 pitches tracked. A good bit of that contact bounced its way around the infield, and he continued a now four-year run of model stinginess with the free pass. One would think that given his recent run and job security, he'd be a near lock to lead his alma mater in saves, yet he's still nearly 450 shy of fellow Arizona alum Trevor Hoffman. Who you got, Paul? Hmm. Closer with a really good cutter. I'll go Cody Allen. It's incorrect. Kevin. I don't know, uh, Craig Kimbrell. It's incorrect. Mark Melanson. Mm. Ah. All right, Kevin, you are up with the next one. This player remains one of baseball's best and most exciting young players, but his 2016 was sort of a weird season. His unintentional walk rate fell from 9.6% in 2015 to 5.6%. After stealing 20 bases... In 2015, he stole zero last season. No 22-year-old has stolen 20 bases in a season, only to come back and be shut out in the category at 23, since Rick Arbach in 1973. Forced into about seven weeks of action at shortstop, this player proved that he can provide plus defense there in addition to being a wizard at third base. The signs all point toward continued stardom, even if the shape of his overall production isn't set in stone yet. Who is this player, Kevin? Okay, so he's a young player, stole a lot of bases, huh? played some shortstop. One of baseball's best, most exciting young players. I'm just going to guess. Paul, do you know this if I, I miss it? I do, yes. I'll go with uh, Carlos Correa. That is incorrect. Paul with the steal. Manny Machado. That is correct. I was going to guess Machado. I didn't realize he stole 20 bases. 
Yeah, I didn't think so either. That's why I didn't guess him. Yeah, he had a bad rate, but uh, he, he stole 20 bases. I thought that was Bryce Harper until you said the shortstop thing. I actually huh. have Machado written down here on my paper, but I decided not to go with him. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Did you just write all the baseball players you could think of before we started? No, I was thinking about guys who had kind of like a weird switch back and forth position kind of year. And I thought him, but then as soon as I remembered that you said 20 stolen bases, I did Well, but he at least switched positions. Correct. Correct. Only well, played shortstop. Oh, I, I know. All right. one nothing, Paul. Your player. When Blank made his major league debut in 1998, Google was 10 years old. J.K. Rowling introduced us to the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry, and I was taking home my first iMac computer. 19 years later, Google owns half our souls, and the Harry Potter series has sold over 400 million copies, and my iMac is a broken-down display piece in my house. This player is still playing baseball, though, and posting a slash line that... While not spectacular for a designated hitter, the final act of every AL power hitter's career proves that he's just still kicking. After a very poor 2014 in the Bronx, Blank took advantage of being a switch hitter and made the Yankee Stadium short porch his age-defying elixir. The problem with that, which was showcased in Texas, is that not every ballpark has a short porch for him to ward off father time with. Hmm. I will go with... Carlos Beltran. That is correct. Nice job. All right, Kevin, you really need a point here. I know. This is rough. You're going to have to think of some unique scoring to keep your listeners interested. <laughs> Our next one. This player's 2016 was an epic story of self-restraint. Sure, he finished with only 24 home runs. But what about all those other plate appearances? This player led the National League in walks after learning from MLB's marketing arm that he could light things on fire simply by focusing his thoughts. Team after team threw around him, and we should be in awe of a man who chose not to cause Noah Syndergaard's flowing tresses to burst into flames, who practiced zen-like patience every time he served as a cutoff man for Yasmoni Tomas, only to be wantonly ignored. In a land so dry that urine can turn into hazardous plasma, by the time it hits the ground, this player has taught us a lesson about the responsibility that comes with great power. Isn't the strength not to act the greatest superpower of them all? I don't think I understood anything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> this is from this is from baseball perspective. Yes. Uh, can you give me that again? Yeah, so I'll give you the, the... Who did he play with? Who was he cutting throws off from? Yes, Moni Tomas. He... Agreed. <laughs> Paul, do you know who it is? Uh, I believe so. Kevin, I'll, you I'll, I'll, I'll give you a lifeline. You can you can ask two questions about his stat line last year or in previous years. You said 24 home runs? Last year, yep. All right, what was his flash line? Two ninety seven. Wait, you, wait! Don't give me the don't give me the flash line. You said the OBP wasn't good. No, his OBP was good. His OBP was good. His homers were down. The whole thing is is making light of like he's awesome, but he chose not to hit home runs last year. Oh, 
How about Bryce Harper? Good guess, but incorrect. Paul? Oh, I thought for uh, sure he had 24 home runs. Who is Bryce Harper cutting off the throws from? <laughs> oh, jeez, I forgot about that part. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt? That's correct. Uh, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> These are hard. Yeah, it's much easier when you have it in front of you. <laughs> All right, good thing the rest of these are worth five each. Except for Paul's. Only mine are worth five. <laughs> All right, Paul, you ready? How about, I'll go, if you get a steal, I'll make it. It's worth uh, double. It's worth two points. Sounds good. Well, I'm assuming there's some kind of money ball at the end question, like in a three-point contest. Worth twenty five. Oh, Moneyball is in the three point shootout. Yeah. Yeah. On this show, Moneyball means something entirely different. Mm-hmm. Paul, you ready? Ready. The problem with being labeled the best at something is that the expectations become sky high. After a four year stretch from two thousand eleven to two thousand fourteen, in which blank was historically dominant, he took a slight step back in twenty fifteen. That didn't stop his general manager, from backing up the prospect truck for him last offseason, which raised the stakes even more. Blank responded by taking another step backward, walking a whopping 13.6% of batters face en route to posting the highest DRA and ERA marks of his career. However, this player was still dominant for stretches, still averaged 98 miles per hour on his fastball, and still struck out well over a third of opposing hitters. He should also be commended for recovering from a torn meniscus in just three weeks. But he looked awfully mortal at times, especially when the two losses he suffered in the season's final five days helped cost Blank the two-seed in the playoffs. This player clearly still has the talent to be an elite reliever, but if he's just good instead of special moving forward, he'll look a lot like an overpay. Um, I have no idea. Addison Reed? It's incorrect. Uh, Kevin... The clue is you have said this person. Wait, wait! I don't want the clue. I don't want the clue. I think I might know who this is. Okay. So it's a it's a reliever who's really bad, right? Who uh, used to be good. That's the gist of it. Used to be good. This past year, he was still pretty good, but not dominant. Well, I kind of want to try to get it without the clue. I don't think. You're How about gonna... if I guess and I get it wrong, then you give me the clue? Sounds good. And I'll guess again. Sounds good. Is it Trevor Rosenthal? It's not. The clue is the clue is you've said this person's name already tonight. I have? Yep. In this game? Yes. Oh, I don't have a clue. What what, what was What closer did you guess? I have, I don't remember. <laughs> um Oh, um uh Kimbrel. Yes. Yes. It's a th- I got it, Paul. It's a whole new ball You're game. Cut up. You're going to cut out the part where I guessed incorrectly, right? Of course. (laughs) All right. You can't imagine New York without the Empire State Building or L.A. without the Hollywood sign. And increasingly, you can't imagine this team without this player. This player ranked fifth in position player war in 2016 and second in the AL behind Mike Trout. He gets overlooked in part because of the balance in his game. Despite a spike in errors, he displays excellent defense at third, albeit quietly. He set career best in all three pillars of the triple slash and thumped 30 home runs for the first time. In the face of failed prospects and poor player development that defined his general manager's era, the third rounder persevered, 
the lone homegrown position player whose jersey you didn't worry about, worry about buying. While his team basked in the fading glow of its king, its prince kept working, coming back year after year a little better than before, somehow underappreciated despite the $100 million contract. You get the sense that's just how he likes it. So you're telling me this player was second in war in the American League? Yes. And that he has a big contract. Yeah, but it's, you no. you don't really think of it as a big contract. You don't think of it as a big contract. And it's saying that this player was has been a part of this team for a long time? Yes. And he's the prince to this team's king. Oh, um, Seeger. That's correct. Kyle Seeger. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's shocking to me that he was second in war. He's very that's good. That's completely shocking. Yeah. All right, Paul. What a difference a year makes. An injury ravaged season sent this player's stock plummeting, demoting him from a front of the line ace to a mid rotation piece. This player's presence on the team was felt in sporadic bursts between disabled list stunts, stints, not stunts. For food poisoning, a back strain, and forearm tightness. And the only outing in which he did not get shelled was a one-inning trial after he returned from his forearm injury. By all other measures, he was abysmal, posting career-high walk and home run rates and a career-low strikeout rate. If there's something more sinister lurking beneath his poor command and an unlucky streak of injuries, this player's days as an ace could be numbered. Can I get American or National? Uh, AL West. I'll go King Felix. It's incorrect. Kevin. AL West, starting pitcher, former ace, but terrible. Oh, Did I get God. the gist of it? Yep. I know exactly who this is. <laughs> He is a player that I really wanted the Cubs to get. I believe this is Sonny Gray. That's correct. Kevin takes yes. the lead. <laughs> See, you just you needed to get warmed up. That's right. All right. The best thing that ever happened to this player was the dismal season that Jason Hayward had in Chicago because it gave the media a new horrible contract to discuss. Blank is owed around $85 million over the next four years, an unsightly dollar amount to pay a declining outfielder who played terrible defense and once again underwhelmed at the plate. The 33-year-old is falling fast, but on the bright side, his hard hit rate was back up six points from 2015 at 26.6%. He's still making outs, but at least he's making good contact. That would give the impression that there's a chance he turns things around but he'll never come close to being worth his salary. Outfielder who has a terrible contract. 33 years old. Starting outfielder. Let's see. Who's inclined to give terrible contracts? How about Jacoby Ellsbury? That's right. Oh, this is fantastic. Kevin's up 5-3. to three. He might be winning even if you didn't give him a three-point follow-up. All right, Paul, you 
uh, last round here. You need to get this right and then hope for a Kevin incorrect, mm-hmm. which is almost <laughs> definitely going to happen in the last question. This player's first season with his team after signing a five-year, $80 million deal was a rousing success. Unless you pay attention to those pesky runs allowed metrics, the longtime command and control specialist posted one of his lowest FIPs and best walk and ground ball rates, up to strikeout rate, and generally pitched as well or better than he ever has. All that good work was undone by a sky-high BABIP, however, and since StatCast didn't show him giving up any more screamers than usual, a lot of that was due to his team's woeful infield defense. This player thrives by avoiding walks and generating ground ball outs, but when the fielders behind him show the instincts and range of an unmanned foosball table, he's bound to struggle. I'll go... Um, is that what Mike Leak got? That's right. Thanks, Sam. Paul hangs on. I like it. So he, he says the cards have their infields like a foosball table? Shows the instincts and range of an unmanned foosball table. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kev. For the win, you ready? Is this the last question? It is. What's the score right now? Uh, You are up five to four. But Paul doesn't have another question, right? Oh, he could steal, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's worth three points, so it would give him the win. All right, here we go. In 2000... Tony Batista set the record for lowest OPS in a 40-homer season with 827. In 2012, Adam Dunn and Curtis Granderson broke that threshold. Two years ago, Albert Pujols sunk the bar with a 787 campaign. And last year, this player became the aluminum standard with a 767 OPS. Despite the one-dimensional approach at the plate, that one dimension is still a crazy amount of home runs the best outcome in baseball, and he can hold his own at third base defensively. In an era when home runs and strikeouts are up, what's the point of putting the ball in play when they're just going to catch it? This is a perfect time in history to be blank. Um, so this is a third baseman who hit a ton of home runs. That's right. Well, I think I know who this is. I believe this is... Uh... The South Side's very young Todd Frazier. That's correct. Wow. Congrats, yeah. Kev. Did you know that one, Paul? Yep. Uh, well, thanks for playing. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, this was fun. Any parting baseball thoughts for our listeners? Oh, nothing too extravagant. Um, I am, I don't know if you guys felt this over the past week, but it has, for me, it's been a pleasant change with baseball being a little bit more in the air with spring training i don't know what it is exactly i think it was maybe more sunny this week or something Mm -hmm. but then also like on sports radio they they're like interviewing baseball people it's just a nice time of year uh have you got your white Sox season tickets yet not yet i assume i assume they're paying people to uh to get those right yeah they're just going door to door in the neighborhood have you guys heard of the the uh, hawk harrelson giveaway no. You can get an alarm clock uh, and set it to any like one of his 10 catchphrases. Oh, my gosh. What are his catchphrases other than you can put it on the board? Like he gone. He gone. Oh, he gone, yeah. Put it on maybe the board. they have one of the Empire ones. Yeah, that's pretty good. Someone was asking uh, 
if anyone has sat down Hawk and explained to him that they're not actually going to be trying to win this year. <laughs> yeah, it seems like, seems unlikely. Yeah, it seems pretty unlikely. Um, in all honesty, though, it's pretty exciting for the Sox. I, mean, I could see myself going to a few more games, especially if they start calling some of those guys up. Oh, yeah, you should definitely, if uh, Mankata gets called up, you should definitely go to that oh, game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully they do it at home. I called the 2017 season the race to 117 wins. Chicago Cubs. I just, I just don't see it, Pete. I don't think the pitching is good enough. <laughs> I don't think you understand how good their offense is. Oh, the offense is fantastic, but the pitching isn't good enough to win that many games. I think Montgomery is going to be a stud. Really? Yeah, I think he'll be like their third best pitcher. Kevin, over under ninety five wins. I take the under. Hmm. It's really hard to win. I mean, I know they did it, but it's so hard to win like ninety five plus games. Oh, definitely. That's what is crazy that they're going to win one seventeen. It's like <laughs> the best ever. I I was telling someone my formula for this is pretty complex. Uh, mm-hmm. My algorithm. It's simply uh, the value for the most wins currently, plus one mm-hmm. divided by one. That's an interesting formula you got so there. That equals 117. I don't know if you caught that. You probably um, got that from your crazy baseball perspective <laughs> book you got there. All right. Well, uh, we'll let you go, but um, uh, tell Lacey and Jake hello. That sounds good. I will do that. All right. Thanks for coming on, Kev. All right. We'll see you guys. Our guest on this week's podcast is Michael Coffin. He is the director of broadcasting for the Corpus Christi Hooks, the uh, AA affiliate of the Houston Astros. He is the the radio play-by-play announcer. Uh, Michael, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You can follow uh, Michael on Twitter at CoffinMJC. Well, Michael, uh, a lot of things we want to ask you about. I guess to start out with, though, uh, you've been with the Hooks since 2012, Maybe just walk us through your, your career in baseball thus far. Well, I started uh, broadcasting the games regularly in, in 2012. Uh, my old boss, Matt Hicks, uh, got uh, the call to uh, work on the Rangers uh, radio broadcast. So uh, once he got that gig, I kind of slided, slided in backwards uh, doing it, and I've uh, been doing it ever since. It's been a lot of fun. But uh, actually started here in Corpus Christi, in 2007 as an intern so um it's been a it's been a long long journey thus far did you grow up a astros fan i did grew up a huge astros fan great thing about baseball is that you know you really feel like you're part of the team uh watching it every night and you know me and my dad would sit down and from seven o'clock to ten you knew what we were doing and uh it was it was a lot of fun and you you really develop a, a love for the game love for the astros you know doing that so uh you know, from Bagwell to, to Biggio mm-hmm. to Luis Gonzalez, Steve Filling, all those guys, and Milo Hamilton and Bill Brown, Jim Deshays, uh, Larry Durker. Uh, you know, I was fully uh, involved and indoctrinated into to all the Astros uh, stuff for sure. That's awesome. Well, you uh, came on my radar because there was an article in the Houston Chronicle last uh, June about uh, your opportunity to call two major league games. Uh, in June against the the Cardinals in St. Louis. 
was that your that was your major league debut? Is that right for a regular season game? I had actually uh, done a, a game against uh, with the Astros against Seattle at home at Minute Maid Park okay. earlier in the season. So I've done three uh, regular season games uh, all last year, and it was a, it was a surreal experience for sure. Yeah, I guess growing up uh, an Astros fan, that must have been uh, just incredibly special to to be able to call those games. It was and nerve wracking. You know, uh, <laughs> you just you just say, you know, dear Lord, please don't screw up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was it was a lot of fun and uh, working with uh, Robert Ford and Steve Sparks and the producer engineer Matt Bolts. Uh, those guys really made it easy. And, uh, you know, outside of all the stuff leading up to it, you know, the, the big league spread and the press box and uh, certainly the big, big time ballpark. But, you know, once the game got started, you kind of settle in and say, you know what? OK, I've done this before. So it, it was a lot of fun. It was a, a great experience and uh, really appreciated of it. And the Astros won both games against the Cardinals. Yes, and they won a game against Seattle. So I'm three and zero, guys. I got my hundred percent percentage, so uh, we're good to go, man. Yeah, Michael, I you know you mentioned you've been kind of working in the minors for gosh a decade now, and I feel like one of the maybe stereotypes of working in the minors is just that it's an absolute grind. The long bus rides, the, the odd sleep schedules, you know, the pay isn't isn't great, and yet. You seem to have taken all that in stride and remain pretty optimistic. And in fact, I was reading um, a write-up online. I'm sure you've seen this. <laughs> that uh, said, and I quote: uh, "Coffin is so cheerful he could call play-by-play play on a kamikaze flight." Um, <laughs> I don't know about so that. I guess, uh, so I guess my my question is kind of: What's been your secret? How have you remained uh, so optimistic, so positive uh, on a day-to-day level in such a in such a grind? Well, it is a grind. You know, our schedule is 140 games, and I think we play that 150 days. So uh, there's not much in terms of off days. Hmm. And, uh, you know, here we are in Corpus Christi. We're not close to anywhere outside of San Antonio in our league. So, uh, you know, next to our our second shortest trip is to uh, Frisco, Texas, which is seven hours away. Our longest trip is to Springfield, Missouri, which is 14 so the bus rides are, are very long. Fortunately, I'm extremely short, so uh, I don't have to stretch <laughs> out. That but, uh, but no, you know, you just you love the game, and uh, I just can't imagine doing anything else than uh, than showing up at the ballpark every day. It's uh, it's a, quite an honor, and uh, it's been a great experience here. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not as um, I guess uh, tenured in terms of the uh, the whole landscape. Uh, because I've only worked for, you know, one organization, well, two, including the Astros now that own us. But, uh, you know, I came up uh, as a Ryan Sanders employee. Uh, uh, Nolan Ryan and his sons, uh, Reed and Reese, uh, founded the ball club here, founded the ball club in Round Rock, along with uh, Don Sanders, a Houston businessman. And, uh, you know, they really made it a family environment. And, uh, you know, I, I was an intern here for a couple of years. I mean, I came back. And so, I just really enjoyed the experience, and I think it—I think it—you know—it goes beyond the, the game of baseball and the industry. Is that you know, if you really appreciate the folks that you work for and work with, it, it makes it easy and it makes you you know want to come back. So that's that's really been my story. And with, with the Astros rebuild, I feel like you've had a really interesting perspective on uh, some of their really good young players that have come through up through the system. So just uh, I looked over some 
some of the guys they have in the, in their track uh, through AA. Uh, George Springer in 2013 uh, had 19 homers in about 70 games. Uh, Carlos Correa in 2015 just dominated. 29 games, had a uh, slugging percentage of 726, and then Alex Bregman last year had a 416 on base percentage. Uh, do you have a favorite of, of that bunch or maybe someone outside of uh, of those three guys? Uh, you know, one of the guys uh, that's kind of in that, you know, uh, segment and uh, that, that generation is, is Lance McCullers. And, hmm. uh, you know, Lance injury plagued the big league season last year. But, uh, you know, he, he is just one of those guys that, that goes out there and gets after it. And uh, he's he, he's uh, tremendous, a, a big-time fastball, a, a great curveball, but more so the, the mentality. You know, I remember talking with him in, uh, in 15 in Tulsa uh, before we had our home opener, and it was an interview, and I, I said, Lance, you know, you know, what can the fans at Whataburger Field expect when they see you on the mound? Just kind of give them a preview. And he's like, I'm striking everybody out. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what people like to see, you know, and that's just, that's Lance. That's just his uh, personality. But, uh, you know, guys like Joe Musgrove, another uh, pitcher, uh, you know, it, it's, it's been, we've been on the front lines uh, here in Corpus Christi and, you know, the Astro system, they, they went through a, a rough patch, you know, from, from 2007 to 2011, it, it was not good baseball here, but uh, we've been uh, certainly, uh, you know, blessed of late. I, I was looking back and, since 1950 in the Texas League, there's only been five cases of a, of a Texas League club posting back-to-back 81 seasons, and the Hooks have done that twice now since 2012. Hmm. Uh, back-to-back 12 and 13, back-to-back in 15 and 16. So uh, the wins have been there. Uh, they've been in the postseason, and you know it's nice to walk into the Astros clubhouse uh, and see all the familiar faces. I mean, they're all former Hooks, and hmm. uh, Houston is going to you know, the homegrown route. You know, they had some pieces this year through uh, free agency and trades that, you know, will augment the production at the big league level. Uh, but they've really done it to the system and, you know, have set themselves up to be successful for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that's great. Uh, any guys that you're excited to, to watch this year at AA or maybe guys that you watched last year that we should keep our eye on in the system? Yeah, you know, one guy that... Uh, it's going to be fun to watch in spring training for the Astros uh, is uh, outfielder Ramon Laureano. Uh, he uh, played for the Hooks last year toward the end of the season. Uh, hit 323. This kid's uh, 21 years old, uh, five home runs in 36 games uh, in the Texas League, and was uh, was just outstanding in terms of getting on base and also having some power to gaps. Uh, a couple of pitchers stand out. One is a, a, a guy from Cuba, Rogelio Almonteros. Uh, 22 years old, made only three starts uh, at the end of the season last year, but uh, had really good numbers uh, overall, uh, you know, giving his time in Lancaster and in Corpus Christi. And a guy named uh, Trent Thornton is someone that we're looking out for that uh, hopefully can anchor our rotation this year. Again, he uh, was in Lancaster for much of the year, but finished the season in Corpus Christi and, uh, you know, had 35 strikeouts against just five walks and seven starts. So, uh, you know, pitching really has been, cornerstone to what Corpus Christi in particular has done the last uh, four and five years. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I assume one of the, the painful parts of your job is, is seeing guys that uh, don't pan out the way that you're hoping for. So you called the stretch of Mark Appel's career about 20 starts or so. He was the number one pick in the 2013 draft, uh, born in Houston. Uh, as an announcer, I'm sure you, you really root for guys like that. 
what emotions do you feel when uh, things don't pan out, you know, the way that fans or uh, the team would hope? Well, you know, I think, you know, all too often, you know, and, and I'm a fan first and foremost, and, you know, you get consumed by the numbers, but you have to realize that uh, kids are, you know, 20, 21 years old. They're away from home for the first time, and they've been elite in terms of their talent level, whether it's in Little League, high school. I mean, they, they've been the, the cream of the crop. And in Mark's case, uh, you know, in college, I mean, he was one of the, mm-hmm. the top collegiate pitchers, you know, at Stanford. And then all of a sudden you become a pro and then you, you, you're, you know, you have to rely on more than that sheer talent and whether it's injuries or just sometimes it doesn't pan out. So, you know, it's a, there's a human aspect of this game. That's, you know, the, the best part of this game. And so I think that is one of the uh, responsibilities of broadcasters in particular and sports writers is to, to bring those elements out and, uh, you can't hit 100% of these guys. I mean, you know, the NFL draft and the NBA draft is a far different mm-hmm. uh, beast than the Major League Baseball draft. So, uh, and it's that way for a reason. You know, baseball is a very difficult sport, tough to project. Uh, and, uh, you know, Mark is one of those guys that uh, hopefully uh, he's going to figure it out, you know, down the road and, and be successful. Yeah, I guess kind of building off that, you know, you look at a guy like A.J. Reed, who just dominated in 2015 um, in the minors. I think he had an OPS over a thousand. He's named the best offensive player in the organization, named the Baseball America minor league All Star, and yet you know he comes up and hits around 150 last year. Do you feel like you've pinpointed at all, you know, what makes some guys pan out, what makes some guys fizzle? You know, not to say Reed, he's still what 20, 24, 25. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a bright future ahead of him, but do you feel like you've kind of pinpointed that at all, or is it still kind of a mystery for you? Well, you know, it just, you know, when when, uh, when the 2015 season ended, and here Reed is, he's got, he has the most home runs in all of minor league baseball, and, and uh, you know, just the way that he prepares and gets ready for the game, you know, I, I thought the adjustment wouldn't be that drastic for him. You know, it, it's still very difficult, you know, to go from, a double A and a pretty stint triple A all the way to the big leagues. And, uh, you know, for, for guys, it, it just takes time. I mean, look at Alex Bregman, the start he had last year, mm-hmm. and then finished the year hitting over 300, 320 in his last 20 games or so. And, and he's, the, he's going to be the starting third baseman for the Astros. So it, it, it just takes time. And, you know, the Astros are in position now where, you know, they sign, you know, Beltron and McCann. Those guys come over. And so you, you want to win now. And, and the chances for Reed are going to be in spring training. He's not going to get as much rope. You know, I think we'll see Goriel play at first base for the Astros unless Reed just has a, a phenomenal spring. Uh, but, you know, certainly I think, you know, he's going to be able to, to figure it out. And one of the things that people talk about long swings and maybe has a hole somewhere. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know enough about, you know, what I'm talking about to, to dissect that and to, to see what coaches are looking at. But, uh, you know, when, when, when guys have that big power stroke, you know, they need to hit for average. And, uh, you know, when, when you hit, uh, 320 in the Texas league, that can translate to, you know, 270 sometimes in the big leagues. And you, you have to account for this stuff. Wrapping up here. Uh, appreciate your time. Uh, Pakoda, uh, projected this past week that the Astros would win 94 games. That's the most in the American League, second most in baseball behind the Dodgers. Uh, this caught, I think, a lot of people by surprise um, coming off uh, last year where they didn't make the playoffs. 
Uh, you've had, a, like we said, a really interesting perspective on watching a lot of these guys come through. Did the, this sort of projection uh, surprise you? Um, what uh, What's your outlook on the 2017 Astros no, I, season? I think yeah, I think they're a talented team. They certainly have made a bunch of moves. I, I think those projections, you know, figure into how much run, how many runs they're going to score, you know, any given night. And you look at that lineup, it's incredibly deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bullpen is good, uh, you know, with guys like, uh, um, Gregerson and Harris bridging the gap to, to Ken Giles as a closer and, uh, Chris Davinsky, one of the all time characters, uh, one of the great, you know, greater pitchers to, to pitch here. Uh, has just found a, a tremendous role as, as a back-end guy in the bullpen as well, and as a long guy. Uh, he's a guy to watch out for as well. Uh, you know, he had one of the better uh, years in, in the American League in terms of uh, rookie relievers, back not the best. Um, but you know, for the Astros, I think the biggest question mark, and this is no secret, everybody's talking about it, is the starting staff. You know, and and a healthy Lance McCullers and a healthy Dallas Keuchel, and you know. Colin McHugh, those guys are going to have to step up and, and, and make an impact. And uh, while I do think there are some great internal options, you know, like a, a Joe Musgrove, a Francis Martes, I think they're going to have to go out and acquire an arm. And I think they will, you know, at the trading deadline or heck, even, you know, uh, early on in the season or before uh, they, they, they break camp. So I, I think one more uh, starter would, would certainly uh, bolster their efforts uh, in 2017. Well, Michael, uh, thanks uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, best of luck uh, this year and in the future. We'll be following your career. Yeah, great. Great. Uh, thanks for having me. I had a great time and look forward to uh, listening down the road. Well, thanks again to Michael for joining us. Uh, it's good to, to hear about the Astros and hear about his career in baseball. Don't have too much to add to close out the podcast. Our next podcast is in a couple weeks on March 6th weekly podcasts start back up on March 20th right before the the season starts so put that on your calendars everybody uh Paul a couple nuggets for you if you google baseball podcast we are the 65th results <laughs> so that's i think that's good news right i feel like i've searched foot in the box before and we're not we're nowhere near the top if you add a foot in the box right but i'm saying like it just ver- foot, in, foot in the box variations of our name we're pretty far down. Uh, yeah, I guess I can double check that. Yeah, foot in the box. Not so. If you do a foot in the box, though, we're we're like the first five. Well, yeah, if you search our specific name. Uh, what well, wasn't so encouraging, though, the 36th result for baseball podcast on Google was another baseball podcast entitled Baseball Outside the Box. Mm. Uh, and their podcast... Uh, their bio says uh, it's innovative thoughts from baseball's best coaching minds from around the world, led by former USA Baseball national team coach Peter Caliendo. Wow. Well, that's all I got. Uh, you can email us at afootinthebox at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at afootinthebox and uh, leave us a review on iTunes. You can subscribe there uh, as well. Check us out online at afootinthebox.com. I think uh, that does it, Paul. Yeah, let us know if if we missed any uh, weird injuries early on. (laughs) Let us know if there's any uh, deep dive topics that you want us to hit on or that are of interest to you. Yeah, I think I'll be posting those uh, like on Twitter or um, SoundCloud, like by themselves. So uh, if you don't like our full podcast, you can just listen to a little snippet with, with, with deep dive. 
Uh, hope you all enjoy some more spring training photos and a reminder to keep a foot in the box. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Only elation, we'll never try the test, but what a little